Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 83 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And before we get started, I want to do a couple of quick housekeeping things for for all the regular listeners. Uh, First off, Aaron is still in Portland tonight. He's coming back from the OpenStack Summit, so uh, lots of good stuff that he's gathered. Uh, We've been talking all week, so he's going to have a couple of shows that will come out of the OpenStack Summit for people that are interested in that. Uh, The second thing is for anybody um, that hasn't noticed, we fired up a new podcast called The Mobile Cast, and it seems to be getting a lot of traction. People seem to like it. So if you're interested in anything having to do with mobile computing, mobile devices, mobile lifestyles, um, tune into that. It's being hosted by Brian Katz. He's doing a really, really good job. So uh, enough of that. Let's, Let's get to the show. So one of the things that we've heard from a lot of our listeners and we've seen in the marketplace is this idea of, of, of hybrid cloud as a concept. And for a number of years, we've heard over and over again from CIOs and, and from the industry that people want this, this concept of sort of the best of public and the best of private. They want you know, security, but they want flexibility. And you know, hybrid cloud has struggled a little bit in the last couple of years. It's been very theoretical, uh, but people have struggled to really make it work. And tonight, we're pretty excited. So we've we've been looking for companies and people that are doing interesting things around cloud computing, and especially around hybrid cloud. And so tonight, we're really excited to have uh, Rajiv Chawla, who's CEO of a new company called Cloud Velocity, on with us tonight. Uh, Rajiv, thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so, so first and foremost, so. Uh, Cloud Velocity is a new company, but this is this is not your first startup. So tell us a little bit about about your background, what you were doing prior to Cloud Velocity, and and kind of what what's getting you excited about this segment of the market. Sure, be happy to. So yes, I've been involved with a couple of other startups prior to founding Cloud Velocity. Uh, prior to Cloud Velocity, I co-founded a company called Neopath Networks back in uh, 2002 or so, and it was acquired by Cisco. At Neopath, we virtualize network access file protocols, uh, NFS and CIFS, to allow you to combine capacity and performance coming from heterogeneous file servers such as NetApp and EMC and present a single namespace to the clients. Well, and after that company was acquired by Cisco, I spent some time at Cisco and then joined the Mayfield Fund as an EIR and started exploring some ideas and technologies that were at the center stage of this new era of computing. Uh, a lot of people are calling it cloud computing, but we'll, we'll get into the specifics of what that is. And my co-founders from Neopath joined me, and we started this journey together again. Uh, in December of 2010, we, we launched a company in stealth mode, and uh, last December, we came out of stealth mode, and what what is what what we are known as is Cloud Velocity today. Okay, okay, very good. So, uh, Greg Ness, who's your sort of chief marketing officer, or runs marketing, is somebody that we've known for a while. We've had a tremendous respect for him in terms of his market acumen and his technology knowledge. So he had, he turned us on to you guys. Um, so so let's let's talk about first and foremost. Let's let's talk about Cloud Velocity. What what do you guys do? What's your What's your take on on sort of the technology challenge of hybrid cloud? Sure. 
you know, before before I talk about uh, what we do, I think what would be helpful is to explain uh, what the problem statement is and yeah. why we decided to actually go and try to address this issue. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, I mean, to us, the problem statement is pretty straightforward. If you look at the enterprises, you know, they made significant investments in their infrastructure and applications. They're not just going to throw it away. Right. But the but the ugly side is that you know there's always these never-ending demands on the IT to provide more and more resources to meet n- new needs. Okay. Well, so no matter what you do inside the enterprise, you're always going to be finite resources, and there's always going to be new demands and the need to get more resources. And then there's a new thing happening in the industry, which is you got these public clouds such as Amazon, AWS, Microsoft Azure, and so on, seemingly full of infinite resources. So when we looked at this problem where you got, you know, you got resources inside your enterprise, whether it be data center or cola or hosting, and then we looked at these resources which were sitting in the these public clouds, they were islands of resources. So when we looked at this and we realized, you know, this was something which needed to get addressed because, you know, our view is that you have to be able to treat this as a dynamic pool of resources. And this is what we set out to solve. Okay. And so what we've done at Cloud Velocity is essentially built software that makes these public clouds such as Amazon AWS or Microsoft Azure a seamless extension of the enterprise data center. And that's not where the story ends. You know, ultimately these resources are where you want to run your applications. So the part of the software then enables these existing applications, not just new. There's a lot of talk about, you know, being able to run new applications in these cloud environments. So the approach we took was, well, you know, look at these enterprises. This is not just net new applications. They have a huge investment of existing applications. So you want to be able to take these existing applications and run them with no modification as is in these public cloud environments. So in a nutshell, the software makes public clouds a seamless extension of the data center and then makes these applications run as is. Okay. And the beauty of the solution, so Brian, the beauty of the solution is, you know, you might think about, okay, I might take an application which runs today inside my data center and then move this workload into, let's say, AWS. Well, but you know what? This application may be accessing an LDAP server, which is shared among other applications, which are still running inside your data center. So the beauty of our solution is that, you know, you could take this new workload, run it in AWS, but still have it access the LDAP server, which is sitting inside your data center. And this is the genesis of hybrid cloud. So so the whole notion is, is the resources coming from what you own, whether it be your data center, colo, or hosting, as well as the resources coming from public clouds. And there's a combination of these resources to be deployed in such a way that it gives you increased agility, protection, and scale. And that's that's what we're offering. Okay. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about how that works, and we we don't have to go super deep as as much as you feel comfortable. So, in that case, what you're in essence what you're saying is there's got to be a way to uh, encapsulate an existing application. So, understand that application, encapsulate it, um, somehow move it to the public cloud, whether it's like you said uh, Azure or Rackspace or Amazon Web Services. 
But then you've also got to be able to build uh, the network connectivity or security associations, authentication back into the enterprise so that you can talk to an LDAP server or an AD server or some other sort of server. How, how does, how do you guys go about doing that? What's the, what's sort of the onboarding process, if you will, for, you know, uh, an existing application, you know, content management or a Microsoft application or something, how, how would that onboarding process work? That's a great question. So some of this is part of our secret sauce, but okay. Uh, okay. What, what I can tell you is at the core of this, I think you captured it very right. Uh, you know, you you want to be able to encapsulate application, and you know when you look at an application, when we, when when I use the word application, I'm not just referring to the application stack, because application is also dependent on services offered by the operating system, may depend on the libraries and other binaries which reside on the system. Sure. Right. So so when when we say application, we mean the entire system, not just the application stack. So being able to have an application which runs inside your data center and being able to run that in a cloud side, the first thing you need to do is figure out, you know, these days applications are no longer running on just single host. When I say, you know, I've got a web application, well, typically it's made up of multiple machines. This, this group of machines is what makes up the application. Right. Could be, yeah, exactly. So, so it could be a bunch of, you know, number of web servers, app servers, database servers. You have to first be able to go and figure out, you know, what constitutes this application. Then once you have a sense of, okay, let's say we got these 10 servers, five of them are web servers, three three app servers, and two database ser servers, for example. If, if that's what makes up the application, when you say, now this app has to run in a cloud site, whether it be AWS or Azure, well, these 10 systems have to run there because that's what makes up the application, right? So, so the part of... Our software, first thing it does is think of this as trying to go discover what makes up the application, figure out what network services it's dependent on because, like we talked about LDAP or Active Directory, mm -hmm. think, look at it, does it have any NFS mount points or, 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 in other words, does it depend on any data which is coming from file servers, network mm -hmm. file servers. Then once you do that, then you want to go and blueprint these systems to to get a sense of you know what kind of CPU, memory, networking, storage configurations are on these machines. Because you want to be able to go and provision very similar systems. Of course, you won't be able to get exactly the same because you're at the mercy of the cloud service provider. Sure. In terms of you can get a small or a large. I'm sure you're familiar with the with the approach which which cloud service providers take. You can't go and tell them I want 2.4 gigahertz processor-based system. It's, it's typically boils down to, you know, some categories. Right, right, sure. Right. So, so once you have that, then, so, so once you've blueprinted these machines, you want to go and figure out, okay, can I get a similar set of systems in the cloud side where I can go and go and run the application? Then you go do this. Then this is now the part of the secret sauce which comes in. So we've developed a core piece of technology which continuously replicates and synchronizes your application. And when I say application, this is the operating system, the libraries, the binaries, the app software stack, and any corresponding application data, which might be sitting on local disk, on a SAN, or coming from a file server. So we continuously replicate and synchronize all of this into disk volumes, which are sitting in a cloud site, which is part of our service. So you don't have to have any instances running inside the cloud site to be able to do this. 
And once you have this consistent point inside the cloud site where you've been able to replicate and synchronize, and remember, we had created a blueprint before, we can now go and launch instances, mapping to that blueprint, and taking the OS and the config and the application data and the application software stacks from the things which we were synchronizing on, slap them on the instances which we get from the cloud vendor, and essentially run the application. So now you got a clone, an exact replica, replica of your application, which was running in the data center, also running in the cloud side, right? Okay. So let me so, let me stop you there for a second because that's a, it, it's a it's an interesting thing, and I want to make sure I'm not I'm not kind of sorry, I was, shooting over this. No, no, no. It was, no, it was very it was a very like good. Ex- yeah, but so so let me see. I want to make sure I understand something right. So. So if I'm a customer, I have an application that's running today. So it's running in production or it's running in test, whatever environment it's running. In essence, you guys do what a lot of the um, kind of the backup companies do today, where you're, you're doing live replication. So sort of uh, mount point, uh, synchronized replication, similar to like what EMC does with a VPlex technology or Zertos does. Or So you're doing that off to the cloud while the application's still running, right? You don't you don't shut the application down up front. And then at some point you've, you, you've got what looks like a, in essence, like a, 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 something running in sync and you could turn the one off in your data center and turn the other one on. And, and all you're going to do is probably move a, a load balancing. Is, is that sound right? I mean, is that sort well, of what, you, what it does? Right, right. But I have to say, I'm really pleased to see how you try, try to draw similarities between the backup vendors and what we do. So, so it's not, quite the way you expressed it okay. because first of all you know to be able to run an operating system let's say you're running some version of linux with patches installed on your sure. system on your in your data center well typically on a cloud site what you have is templates coming from the cloud service vendor where you can go and run the os what the what, what the cloud site cloud provider gives you mm-hmm. what we've done is so, so this is where a lot of differences are. So when we talk about replication and synchronization, there's a lot of transformation going on when you launch instances. It's not just the, the, the same environment, exactly the same environment, because that's not going to be able to run in the cloud side. So for, for simple, very simple examples, you may have to inject some drivers. You may have to remove some drivers. Okay. You would have to go and change the config files in the operating system so that the machine comes up Thinking is exactly the same machine as it was running in your data center. Okay. So it's not a so 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 conceptually, you are very close, but but the devil is in the details because, so so once you replicate and synchronize and it's a continuous replica and replication and synchronization, but then when you launch instances, there is a lot of transformation going on to make this runnable, in in the cloud side. Sure. And then in this is the other difference, big differences. We have a very application-centric view. Mm-hmm. So when people talk about backup, they are more around you know system or host-based backup or host-based replication. Right. So for us, like I said, when I say my web application, I want to be able to take it from my data center and run in run in Microsoft Azure environment. Well, it's not just that application; it's a set of those ten systems which made up the application have to be brought up in the Azure site. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. And, and so in essence, when you're talking about the operating system level things, it's, it's the same thing as saying, well, I can get a base Linux image, for example, Red Hat image or CentOS image or something, or 
you know, in their case, they let you upload your own as a, you know, an AMI or an OVF or something. What you're doing is you're saying, we move you over to this baseline thing, and then there's a process that, that tries to synchronize them for, for all the, you know, the nuances and details and so forth. But I, I think what the other thing I think what you didn't say, and I think this is sort of important, um, you don't do something, you, you don't like virtualize the application. You don't do a P to V and turn it into a V app. You, you literally just move whatever's on that server over to a different running instance. It's, there's not a, you know, physical, the virtualization or a, you know, right. you're, you're not encapsulating things and so forth. Well, okay. really good point. So, so first of all, you know, just going to add to what you said. So given the, the approach we've taken, we can work with both physical okay. and virtual environments. Hmm. And in, in virtual, we're not tied to a hypervisor vendor or virtualization vendor. This could be VMware, Hyper-V, Zen, or KVM-based virtualization. Okay. So the whole idea here is, you know, you, you have an OS which is running whether on a physical machine or as a guest on top of a hypervisor. You may have some patches applied to this OS. You know, if I were to just pick a template which comes from the cloud service provider, that's not really going to cut it. I want to be able to run the same OS which I have running in my data center and make it run with the same same patches which is here, make that run in, in, in the cloud side. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand. So I, I guess my next question is, um, and again, uh, we'll get away from the technical stuff at some point, but I just kind of want to make sure I have an understanding of where the basic pieces work. So if I'm a customer today, I have a multi-tiered application, especially my own data center. I have a sense of, you know, what response times are between compute and storage, or I have a sense of, you know, how I've provisioned a network to give me certain either isolation or, or bandwidth or whatever. How do you, how do you map something that's pretty well understood and, and you can kind of, roughly guarantee what it looks like to a cloud environment where you know they're they're less stringent upon what an SLA looks like or less stringent upon what storage response times look like how do you is it is it sort of best effort or is there a way to to, to pseudo map those things together that is an excellent question Brian so 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 before I get into the specifics you, we also have to know the state of these these cloud computing environments today you know First of all, you have to remember these are not static environments. They are evolving very fast and very rapidly. Right. So, 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 if you look at Amazon AWS, they have this notion which is called elastic block storage (EBS) volumes. Mm -hmm. They're very similar to the whole idea of you have uh, a local disk which comes from the network, right, in your data center. Until very recently, there was this notion that you know the performance coming from these EBS volumes was very unpredictable, right? Right. Well, I forget, is in the last few months, they've introduced this notion of when you go and provision EBS volumes, now you can go and say, I want this volume to have this kind of IOPS. Okay, so yeah, pre, are, yeah, sort of pre-provisioned IOPS, if you will, right? That is correct. Provision IOPS EBS volumes. So, so, so the reason I brought this up is, you know, if you ask me this question, a year ago, I would say, Brian, unfortunately, the sad part here is we are at the mercy of the cloud service vendor until we get the same kind of performance from, from the infrastructure which they put in place. I could not make any guarantees. But today, you know, that, that especially for IO, things are changing. So in case of AWS, you know, we could go and make use of provision IOPS to kind of bring performance close to 
the performance practices which you had in the data center, right? When you talk to talk about other clouds, you know they are behind in this regard. But I wouldn't be surprised within the next six to nine months you would see you would see a similar capabilities from the other cloud vendors too, right? Okay. Yeah. And when yeah. it comes to networking, so, so let me just finish the I/O side. So we, we talked about the disk side, then the on the networking side. Again, part of our technology, and we we didn't talk about this. You know what we've encountered with in some customer sites is that you know they have notion of the IP address embedded inside the database, even though they shouldn't. But sometimes it's relatively easier to write an application where you may want to. Uh, store the IP address in the database. Sure. Well, well, if I bring up the application, and when I gain application means the entire suite of those 10 systems with the same OS, the same config, the same, same app data, well, we go on to the extent of making sure we preserve those IP addresses so that when the application comes up and runs in the cloud side, it still thinks it's running in the data center because it's the same IP addresses. Okay. So, so again, these are... And, and, and these things have become possible because, I mean, you're hearing a lot of talk about network virtualization and SDN, because a lot of these elements are now, now getting embedded in, 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 the cloud, in the cloud service provider's infrastructure, which we, as a vendor cloud velocity, can take advantage of and okay. offer services to the enterprise. Okay, I got you. So, so to a certain extent... Well, you know, there's a number, you know, so, so AWS, there, I mean, there's characteristics that AWS and say Rackspace and, and Azure have in common that, I mean, there's still some differences in the services they provide. And, and you guys have enough intelligence across uh, a number of clouds that you can sort of go, uh, this one provides certain additional network services. This one provides additional, some other set of services, and you can kind of help guide customers to the right match for what their applications need. You got that. Okay. Absolutely. And in fact, we are talking about potentially building an assessment tool where we could try to also automate that process instead of being involved with the customer so they could actually run the tool and get a get an early feel for what's possible and what's not possible. Okay. So um, so as as you're so as you're going to market, right? Uh, you know, we talked about early on about sort of the problem customers have. They they'd like the idea of infinite resources. They can't typically fund that or budget for that internally. What, what's a typical conversation you're having with customers, um, not just about the technology, but but kind of helping them get over the hump of saying like, hey, you you can trust the, these external clouds, or you know, we can be sure that they're going to run the same way. What, what, what's that conversation look like today? Well, so again, it really depends on the size of the customer. So the conversation is a little different on the mid-market versus large enterprises, sure. right? So, so, so what we have seen in large enterprises is there's the first, the first desire is they want to be able to make room in their data center because the case to build new data center is just not there. So they are looking to see, well, if there are some applications which are running inside this data center, can I just take them off my data center and, and run them somewhere else, like in a cloud site? Mm-hmm. So I can make room and run some applications which require access to more sensitive data, which the enterprise is still not comfortable putting in the cloud side. Right? Okay. So the conversation starts with a migration of their existing workload from their data center to a cloud side, leading to, hey, you know what? So, so once you once you once you play with our software, you get more, you know, confidence in what can be done, and you see this now new world of infinite resources. 
which is just available at your fingertip. So essentially, instead of buying that next server, the, the, the value proposition becomes that next server comes from the cloud side. Okay. And that server can be used for the dev test or, or anything else. Because it looks, remember, the one part which we talked about is when we get these resources in the cloud side, they still are able to use services like the AD or LDAP, which reside back in the enterprise. Gotcha. So the control and security is still with, with the enterprise IT. While you've gotten the agility, what the cloud cloud offers you. Okay. Okay. Now, for for customers that you're working with, you know whether they're doing this in production or they're doing it sort of in beta and proof of concepts, what is their what's their world look like after they've been through sort of your migration? What's where where are they managing the the applications and resources from? Which tools are they using? Is it are they now using your tools? Is it are they still using you know VMware vCenter or is it I mean like what what is their what is their new sort of management view of the world look like? Sure. Uh, so. F- First of all, you know, if you, if you look at our customers, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just talk about one specific customer, Lealta Media. So they are using our software to use AWS as their secondary data center. So they have a web application which is running in a colo, and they have used our software to, to essentially provide 24 by 7 availability of their web application in, in AWS. In case of an outage, they can fit over there. Okay. So their management environment is exactly the same what they had for their existing colo-based environment. Not no changes there, but in when the failover happens, then they use our tools and our software to manage the, the instances which come up in AWS. And the beauty of the solution for for this customer was, you know, okay. So before I say that, when you look at these cloud environments, there is a the, the compute, storage, networking, and security models are very different than what you are used to inside the enterprise. Right. You know, we talked about EBS resources. We talked about provision IOPS. Well, we happen to, Brian, be in the industry, and, and you know, we're keeping track of what's happening. If you're in the enterprise looking at you know, traditional enterprise IT environments, this is not how the enterprise IT looks at storage. This is not how enterprise IT understands networking the notion of VPCs. So what our software does is essentially removes any learning involved in all these cloud cloud environments. And behind the scenes, all these processes are automated. So we become the management station for the instances which come up in the cloud side. Down the road, so down the road, so we expect, for example, you know, like for Microsoft Azure, we, we, we do think there might be uh, value for us to think about writing a plugin for system center. So if, if you had Windows-based workload, which you were managing you were managing using system center inside the enterprise, the same system center now could manage this workload inside the cloud side. But okay. that's the roadmap. That's not there today. Let's sure. be just clear. Gotcha. Gotcha. And do you see, and do you see, I mean, like it, it, it sort of dawns on me, and maybe this is a use case or maybe it's not. Um, I mean, it feels like, you could help people, you know, move existing workloads for, you know, capacity management or, or for cost or whatever. But it also feels like it's almost like a first first step would often be for people to use this as a as a way to build a backup system for them or disaster recovery. I mean, do you, do you see that more so, or do you see them jumping in with with production applications first? Well, so we see a mix. Mm-hmm. So mid market, we actually see. 
cloud-based DR just standing on its own. There's no discussion about migration of their workload. It's it's about these the mid-market customers could not afford to build a secondary data center or work with or, or work with you know the, the very expensive professional services vendors where they offer you DR. So what we've done is essentially enable them to use the cloud, the public clouds like the Amazon or, or, or Rackspace or, or Azure as their secondary data center for, for DR purposes. But for the very large enterprises, typically they've already spent the money for their tier one apps and protected them. So again, when we say when we say DR, I'm not just talking about data protection. This is 24 by 7 availability, so the application still continues to run. So the large enterprises have already spent the money for their tier one apps, and they haven't done that for their tier two and tier three apps because it's it's a very expensive value proposition, right? right so right. what we bring to the table for these large enterprises is cloud-based DR for the second and third tier uh, apps today, but the conversation starts with migration. There's some element of you know the dev test use case where your existing apps, you could clone them in, in AWS or Azure and use that as your lab, grow and shrink your lab as and when you need. And the third use case is cloud, cloud-based DR. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, listen, um, we're we're sort of you know we're sort of getting towards uh, running out of time a little bit. Um, so you know, real quick, I guess um, you know, like you talked about, I mean, you've you've been in startups before. You've been in the investment VC side of the world. You're now back doing startups again. I mean, where do you see sort of this evolution of hybrid cloud, or even just you know the evolution of how people are gonna are gonna leverage resources, whether they're in-house or out. I mean, like, what are the big drivers you're seeing or the big trends that, that really are pushing you guys to keep moving forward? First of all, I just want to clear, I was not on the, uh, I was at the VC, but as an EIR. Right. Not but you've side. seen, but you've seen that side, you've seen that side of the fence where you're looking to make bets yes. on where things, yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, we believe hybrid cloud is the future mm-hmm. and it's so promising that you want to be able to think about the, 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 the next era of computing is going to be about being able to leverage your own resources and resources which you rent. So you have to be able to figure out, you know, first of all, I don't believe everything is going to move to the cloud. You know, of course, the cloud service providers would want you to believe that sure, your, sure. Your, your on-premise computing is, at, is dead. At least I don't believe that. There is going to be on-premise computing for, for the right reasons. And there is going to be lots of these public clouds available. So the long run, you have to be able to think about this, that these resources form a dynamic pool. And based on different characteristics, whether it's cost, performance, or any other criteria that you run your workload, or security, you run your workload in the environment which deems fit, fit for the application. Gotcha. Yeah. No, and I, and I would agree with that. And I think, again, like we talked about at the beginning, there, there's been so many people that want this sort of best of both worlds. They want to be able to leverage the flexibility and cost of, of public. And they want, you know, they, they've got, like you said, they've got investments they've got to maintain and skills they want to maintain. I, I think that makes absolute sense. And the, the interesting thing becomes, can you figure out the right technology to make these things happen fairly seamlessly? And, and, and like you said, people don't have to learn 
all the nuances of the new public cloud or, or some new tool. So that's very, very cool. I, I appreciate the time tonight. Uh, thank you very much for being on. Um, so for people that are interested, they want to learn more about, about cloud velocity or come and talk to you, where, where can they expect to see you, you know, out at events, you know, for the next couple of months at shows or what's the best place to learn more about cloud velocity? Well, these days, the best place is online. So come and see us on our website, www.cloudvelocity.com. And, you know, there's a lot of information on the website, as mm -hmm. well as uh, if you want to try out this, try out our service, just sign up on our, uh, on our site and you'll be able to try out the service as well. Okay. Very, very cool. Well, listen, folks. Um, so, Rajiv, thank you so much for being a guest on tonight. Um, Aaron will be back with us next week, everybody. Um, so, as always, folks, if you like the show, tell a friend or please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the CloudcastNet or obviously on the web at thecloudcast.net. So, uh, for Rajiv and for Aaron, uh, thanks to everybody for listening tonight and have a great night. Mm -hmm.